Listen to find out what it takes to launch a luxury, sustainable fashion brand focused on a customised product. It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome. It's great to have you here. We frequently speak to kind of businesses that are quite long in the tooth, that have been around for a while. Well, in this episode, we are talking to a fairly fresh new fashion startup who are in the luxury space, who are selling denim jackets, of all things, um, and who have lots of things to share from their journey thus far, including uh, why they went for funding instead of bootstrapping. We talk about managing and deciding whether or not you want a co-founder, how you manage your team, what you insource, what you outsource. We talk about the process they went through, the research process they did to uh, to really get to understand their customers and why and how they chose to go about the Kickstarter route. There's a lot coming up here, which I think many businesses will learn from, but certainly if you are in those early stages, this one you really want to listen to. Before we meet today's guest, please do check out our sponsors. Getting an online business off the ground is not easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Clavio is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up a free Clavio account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes, thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at clavio.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's special guest. Leslie Fong has been in e-commerce since 2009 and in 2018 took the leap into founding her own fashion brand. Venom, launched with a super successful Kickstarter in 2019, has been awarded grants by Spanx, Sia Scotch and Facebook and been nominated in FGI's Rising Star Awards. Hello, Leslie. Hi, Chloe. Congrats on all you've achieved thus far with Venom. It's, uh, it must be very exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's just the beginning of things and we can get into that, but it it's also been a pretty amazing journey up to this point and really grateful to still be here in light of COVID and the sort of effect that it's had on the fashion industry. Yeah. And, and you obviously had quite a lot of experience in various sectors within e-commerce before starting Venom, but what led you to, to go, well, hey, I want my own fashion brand? Because it's a big leap to take. Yeah. I mean, I've always worked in fashion. Um, I was attending fashion design school at the Art Institute in San Francisco. But during that time, I, I started working for a solopreneur jewelry designer, and she had an e-commerce site for her own brand. And her background was at Yahoo during the late 1990s tech boom. Wow. So she was pretty advanced at the time, at least, with the D2C e-commerce platforms and tools that she was using. And she was an amazing mentor. And that first experience, dipping my toes into e-com, sort of set the stage for my future career path of combining both e-commerce as well as fashion. 
Nice. And um, let's let's get into Venom as it is right now. And then we'll kind of go back into how you got from the idea through, through to it happening. I think that will, because first of all, I want to get people to really understand what Venom is. Let's start with where in the world you are and where you're selling to. I'm currently located in Sacramento, California. Our brand is technically based out of San Francisco, um, but all of our production from start to finish is in California. So we are a California-based fashion brand. Very cool. And are you just selling in the US? Or are you global at the moment? We are selling globally, but the majority of our customers are in major metropolitan areas of the United States. Got you. And um, tell us about the product because it's quite, uh, I could, you know, you could just say it's denim jackets, but it's a little bit more clever and complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, you'd be right about that. Um, Our hero product is a 100% cotton denim trucker jacket that we've tweaked to have a more streetwear leaning progressive silhouette and fit. So what I mean by that is it's a little bit oversized. It features a drop shoulder instead of an inseam shoulder. Um, It comes in five washes and two lengths, but most importantly, it uses genderless sizing because we believe that, especially for the apparel category, gendered clothing will eventually become obsolete amongst fashion enthusiasts. And we also offer customizations on this hero jacket design. And that's through our proprietary digital configurator, which is really just a a fancy word for jacket builder on our website. And it's through this tool that we become most well known for our hand applied metallic foil finishes because they're like custom works of art. The results are totally one of a kind. And pretty soon we'll be expanding into knits because hoodies and denim jackets go together like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) And you've got quite a uh, a sustainable angle to your product, as well as it being customizable, future looking and um, luxury and designer. You've also got the sustainable piece running through it too. Yes, that's correct. I mean, Primarily, we are focused on making luxury quality, genderless denim jackets, but it was extremely important before even uh, you know, submitting our first purchase order that we were using production methods that focus on low environmental impact and inventory risk. Um, so we are using dead stock denim materials, basically these larger fashion houses will sometimes order really large amounts of denim materials or other types of raw materials that they never even use. They end up sitting in warehouses because they don't want to pay to transport those bolts of fabric. They're really big. So we use all of that dead stock material to produce our own smaller production runs of our jackets. And then we work with wash houses, primarily in Southern California, that are very water wise um, and recycle their waters internally and have a lot of systems in place to keep that wash house uh, production line sustainable. It's kind of mad, the um, the underused fabric, because we, we hear a lot about the percentage of manufactured clothing that never gets purchased and ends up in um, in landfill. But we don't often hear about the manufactured cloth that never gets as far as being clothes that ends up sitting in a warehouse or I guess eventually in landfill. So it's kind of like an, an untapped resource, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, there's so much waste in fashion at every single step of the production line. But the earlier on that you can conserve materials, the less likely you're going to have an output of garments that you end up not selling and have to, God forbid, but burn or you know dispose of in some kind of way that is terrible for the planet. And you've started your brand with quite a complex product with the customization and everything in there. Was 
And you've gone with a with a luxury end and a luxury price point. Was there not a bit of you that thought, oh, let's just create a denim jacket and flog it for fifty dollars? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong about that. We we certainly didn't take the easy routes in the beginning. Um, but honestly, the denim jacket is already a very beloved apparel category, very iconic. I mean, it's been worn as a fashion statement, not just a utilitarian piece of clothing. Um, ever since the 1960s, essentially. Um, and it doesn't really go out of style. It it fluctuates with trends instead of going in and out of fashion as a category itself. Um, so we didn't really think that, you know, coming out with a, a jacket that's already popular, a lot of people already own one, was going to be enough. Uh, we really needed to put our own unique spin on it. We wanted it to accommodate more of a streetwear enthusiast aesthetic. Um, and the customizations are kind of balanced so that people aren't paralyzed with choice when they're using our custom configurator. Um, but there's enough there that people feel like they put their own special touch on the jacket. So if it wasn't going to be custom, we weren't going to do it at all. We were very committed to having that model available from the get-go. And what, you've obviously been through various stages of the business, which we'll talk about shortly, but what does the team look like now? Is it just you and your co-founder? Have you got others involved? Are you outsourcing any of the marketing and those kind of elements? We are so teeny tiny. It is uh, <laughs> internally, at least, just my co-founder, Casey Houchin, and myself. We do all of our branding, design, and production in-house. Um, as I mentioned, we're produced entirely in California. Uh, we produce what we call shell jackets in at a factory in San Francisco. Our wash house is based in LA, and then we hand finish every order and pack and ship out of Sacramento. We outsource engineering, a lot of marketing to different agencies, so paid ads, social engagement, uh, public relations when we could afford it. And so we do rely heavily on the slightly larger teams that are involved in those agencies. So I'd say that there's probably around a dozen people working for our company at any one time. But internally, it's just Casey and me, me and Casey. And how, you know, the, the co-founder piece, I always think is a a blessing and potentially a curse. So how do you how do you structure the roles between the two of you to make sure you are I guess not treading on each other's toes, but also getting the most out of both your skill sets? Yeah, that's a great question. Casey and I have known each other for a very long time. Uh, we actually met at that fashion design school that I mentioned. So we knew each other's work ethic for a long time and were friends for a long time prior to embarking on this venture at all. So I knew uh, that her background was going to be complementary to mine. I obviously didn't go and become some couture gown designer straight out of college. I went hard into branding and e-commerce and focusing on direct-to-consumer brands. Meanwhile, she went on to work for Levi's, a lot of Bay Area fashion companies doing technical product development. And that was a skill set that I didn't really have. So it was a very uh, clear cut and obvious choice to bring her on board as co-founder. But I didn't do that right out the gate. I actually started out as a solo founder for about a year before bringing her on as co-founder um, because I wanted to better understand my capabilities as a, a CEO and founder and what my needs were going to be. And that just really wasn't obvious to me on day one. It, it took a little while for me to understand where she could step in and help. Got you. So you, you you fully stress tested yourself, I suppose, before bringing her on, which I think is um 
it, we, I think anyone in business needs to know themselves pretty well to work out how to, how to fill in those gaps. So I want to talk next about the way in which you've gone about launching the business. Um, one of the things I find, find quite fascinating is you seem to have so much sorted. It seems to me from day one, like IP protection, the, the kind of the mission of the business. And, and you did an awful lot of kind of research early on before you went about going live to the public, which I often think is something that startups don't allow themselves to do. So what led you to to do it, I guess, the right way, maybe? I guess it was my my background working for other startups. I mean, I am a serial startup employee. I've actually never worked for a company that had more than 50 employees. Um, so that was the process that all, all of those companies were using. I mean, I... Uh, I used to do digital merchandising for a fashion marketplace platform called Threadflip um, and then buying for a designer eyewear subscription platform um, developed by a company called Ditto uh, and then brand marketing for a sunglasses company. And all of these companies were really small, but they had excellent funding. And I think it was that funding that enabled them to go through a more calculated and thoughtful process to really validate their products before they went to market. So I learned from those companies before starting my own. And I think that really is, is a big reason why I took my time and did focus groups and launched into beta and used crowdfunding as a way to not only raise early funds, but also vet people's interest in our product before really going for it and bringing it to market. Because a lot of people um, kind of, I guess, pride themselves on bootstrapping. You know, it's almost often gets seen as a badge of honor, but it doesn't give you that luxury of being able to, or not luxury, it doesn't give you that time to fully explore your ideas before having to generate sales. So for you, I'm guessing from what you just said, raising funds was part of the plan from day one, not selling product from day one. It was. And, you know, when I say that we did focus groups and that we tested this and, you know, did an MVP for, for the website, all of this was still just me. I was the one conducting the focus groups. So there were ways to be scrappy about it. It's not like I went out the gate with $5 million in funding and then hired some fancy agency to, to conduct all of these uh, tests for me. Um, but I did have the luxury, and I agree that we could call it a luxury, of having enough time to really vet this, um, even giving myself full time to the business and not working any other positions at any other companies. You know, I wasn't doing this, you know, at, at nighttime or anything like that. I was full time on this. And so it was a luxury to be able to spend about a year making sure that there was demand for this product and that I could attain product market fit. And doing all that research and, and I guess having that that thoughts about, you know, that kind of funding first mentality. Is that why your kind of real launch was a Kickstarter rather than here's the website who wants to buy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having worked for other companies, I know how much it takes to, to get a startup off the ground. It's, you know, never enough money, however much you've raised, triple it, and it's still not going to be enough money. So I, I knew very early on, we were going to, to need to pursue all potential avenues of, of funding. Um, and crowdfunding is a great way to do that when you are 
face first with your brand. If you're representing your brand, if you align with your customers or you are your own customer, you're probably putting your, your own imagery and your own voice and your own personality first. And crowdfunding platforms are a great way to do that because they require videos and they want wonderful personal storytelling. That's really what, what makes a lot of these campaigns successful. And it, you mentioned um, briefly earlier about all these things you did before the big launch um, kind of starts to build a community around the brand and builds awareness around the brand before there's a, something to sell as such. I've heard a lot of people say that part of the great thing about running a Kickstarter is the community you build up from day one. Was that was that something you kind of discovered as you went through the process or was that part of your plan from the beginning was we'll do this because we'll build community as well as sales? I think it was a perk that we realized early on, but it was never a deliberate decision. Um, and you're absolutely right. It you Those are your first customers ever, ever. And there's a sort of a personal attachment that they have to you and you have to them for supporting brands really early on. So those are the people that are going to come back when you're asking for help the most. You know, if you're having a really terrible sales season and you write a personal note to some of these people who were there from the very beginning, the likelihood that they're going to do something to try and help your company, even if it's not making a purchase, it could be that they know somebody. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're they're almost like advocates and mentors for your company. A lot of people don't think about it that way, but but I do. And you do now, of course, on the website have the, the rewards program, which is really front and center on the navigation, which I guess is that is that one of the key marketing methods you're deploying now to, to grow brand awareness and grow the sales? The rewards program is still pretty experimental. I keep teetering back and forth as to whether my target customer, which is definitely on the younger side, uh, actually uses rewards programs anymore. It's starting to become a, a little bit of an archaic uh, kind of marketing and growth method. Um, so we're navigating it. We tried to really simplify the offering on our rewards program. So we're not doing like gift with purchases. We're not doing any sort of like in-store events or anything like that, that you're typically used to seeing with rewards. It's very simple. You make a purchase on the site, it earns you points, which earns you money and you use that to come back and make a second, third, fourth purchase again. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I love the fact you're busy experimenting. Are there yeah. any other interesting experiments maybe that you're working on or that you, you would like to warn people against, I suppose, that you've discovered thus far? Well, I think that doing pre-orders, I mean, this is not a new, a new strategy or a new concept, but we're going to start doing a little bit more pre-order models for some of our garments where we're just going to produce samples. We're going to photograph those samples in a beautiful way and then gauge interest with pre-orders or notify me fields, basically, where this item isn't available yet. You can either pay for it in advance and we'll ship it when it becomes available or just making it look like it's sold out on the site and leaving a notification field to, to gauge customer interest that way before really committing to buying any stock or making a large purchase order. Yeah, it's a, it's a way I think um, there's a there's a business here in the UK called This Is Unfolded, who their entire fashion business model is take the orders before you produce anything, collection after collection after collection, which is their way of, you know, tackling a lot of the waste in fashion. And it it just seems like such a sensible idea for a for a small startup business rather than committing to stock that you find out later down the line no one wants to buy. You can work it out beforehand. 
Yes, absolutely. And made to order is also generally a huge part of our model. We produce a denim jacket that's essentially a blank canvas. So no buttons, no foils or prints. And we don't finish it until a customer has placed their order. We are keeping the product virgin, so to speak. So this strategy, along with pre-orders and limited edition designs, it's very common in the streetwear category of fashion. It creates the illusion of urgency and limited availability. But under the hood, it's really just more economical for vertically integrated brands. I suppose it gives you a huge amount of flexibility on I don't expect you, you, this is quite right for your market, but if you wanted to do a tie-in with some, you know, homage to a TV series or a film that comes out that fits with your market, you could create the patches or the buttons that go with it or the the design and just immediate, almost immediately overnight create five items that that fit, if that makes sense. Exactly. We have all these different variables. And so we have limitless capabilities. And it also allows us to be very nimble. You know, if something happens in pop culture tomorrow, we would probably be able to whip up a design that speaks to that within a week, have it up on the site and still be relevant, you know, still be new without having to waste a lot of materials or start the production process net new. And Leslie, of all the things that, that, you know, that you've done from when you had the idea through to now, what do you think has been the one that's been the key to the success of your business thus far? Well, custom makes up 75% of our business as opposed to some of the more ready-made styles that we have on the site. As I mentioned, I think we've done a good job of offering a balanced number of variants Uh, that aren't overwhelming when people are customizing their jacket. So having that custom offering has really given us a competitive edge. And I attribute a lot of the business's success to that. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. My favorite big face-to-face e-commerce event is back. Yes, it's time to get your ticket to IRX. That's the Internet Retailing Expo, which this year is co-located with EDX, the e-delivery expo. And it's all happening at the NEC in Birmingham. That's Birmingham, UK, not Birmingham, Alabama, on the 11th and 12th of May. You can get your free ticket right now at internetretailingexpo.com. And at the event, you're going to have the chance to network with e-commerce professionals to trade stories of how you've all dealt with those challenges of the last two years. You'll get the chance to meet over a hundred suppliers to find the tools you need to grow your business and learn from big name retailers and fast growing brands in the brilliant conference sessions with speakers from Waitrose, ITV, Screwfix, Boohoo, Ocado, Wayfair and an awful lot of others including me. Yes I will be there somewhere too so if you see me please do come over and say hi. Go on. Register today for free at internetretailingexpo.com. I want to tell you about Awesome, spelt O-S-O-M-E. They are the experts in organising your e-commerce business accounts so you don't have to worry about filing company reports or paying taxes on time. 
Awesome accountants take care of all your finance admin and are on hand to answer your questions. It's really easy to link your online store, bank accounts and payment systems to the Awesome app, which then keeps track of your spending, profits and financial performance in real time, giving you peace of mind and saving you time too. Plus, using the Awesome system will save your business thousands of pounds every year. To get a demo and find out how much time and money Awesome could save you, go to ecmp.info forward slash awesome, fill in your details and hit the let's go button. Make sure you use the link ecmp.info forward slash awesome, that's O-S-O-M-E, as it will automatically add a coupon to save you £110. It's time for the Top Tips Round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, Leslie, are you ready for the top tips? So ready. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, who also developed the story brand framework. That's what the book is all about. It's both an exercise and it's nonfiction. And basically, he gives you homework at the end of each chapter. And I won't get too far into it, but it's great if you are a new business owner, rebranding uh, maybe, or building your brand for the first time. And it gets down to really the heart of what your brand offering is, the why behind your brand. And also not putting yourself as the hero of your own story, but putting your customer as the hero of your own story. It's a really common theme in that book. And I think that's excellent advice. Oh, it's such a subtle difference, but utterly crucial. Um, Okay, the traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? My agency wants to double down on TikTok and is basically (laughs) telling me not to even bother creating content that isn't video. So I think it's just migrating all of your static imagery over to video. It's the way that people are consuming content. Um, And then TikTok, I know it's still really early on. People are still figuring out how to use it, how to advertise on it. But that's where everything's going. Yeah, video and TikTok. Uh, I, I totally see your product fitting there too, I have to say. I'll back up your agency. Um, okay, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Well, I've got a couple here. Um, I did mention that we do all of our own design in-house and designers are expensive to outsource. Uh, So Adobe Creative Cloud, Uh, don't just go and buy just Photoshop or just Illustrator, get the whole Creative Cloud. It's 53 bucks. I don't work for Adobe, I promise. Uh, But it's it's very cost effective and you're going to learn to use tools that are ultimately going to save your company money if you're not at a stage where you can afford to outsource a lot of your design or hire in-house. Uh, The second one is any sort of split payment method. So (laughs) any site that isn't offering a split payment method is probably missing out. Quad pay, after pay, we use Klarna. I had a customer use Klarna on an $8 face mask order. So people clearly need a little bit of financial assistance at every level, it seems. I think people just get get addicted to Klarna-ing it, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, totally true. And I, I love that tip about Adobe Creative Cloud. Just buy the whole thing. And I think you can also, you can end up as a startup kind of scrabbling around for a free version of that and a cheap alternative version of this. And actually, if 
especially when, when you're doing what you're doing, you're working with other people who are used to using that file format, you know, and you, I imagine you can get some to all kinds of naughty, horrible situations trying to transfer files and it all going horribly wrong. Exactly, exactly. And in our industry, we're highly visual. I mean, you could have a miscommunication between everything from a marketing asset to a pattern for a garment, and you really can't risk that. And then finally, then the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1000, what would be your number one tip for them? My growth top tip is to calmly, considerately accept that there is no one simple winning channel. Your options, your bandwidth, your press, your budget, the economy, it's all gonna ebb and flow, maybe even crash sometimes. So you need to have all the irons in all the fires or at least more than one iron in one fire. So I'm still figuring it all out for myself. But yeah, you need you need something ready for when something falls over. You can't just go hell for leather down one. I love, I love that tip. Um, Leslie, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yeah, sure thing. You can find us at venom.com. That's V-E-N-I-M.com. We're at Venom on Instagram and at Venom Official on TikTok. <laughs> and if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll get our quarterly secret Spotify playlist and 15% off your first order, which on average is like 60 bucks. So pretty good there. Nice offer. I like that. I love the the Spotify playlist as well. That is a good bit of content marketing. Yeah, they're getting pretty popular and it adds value for the customer without uh, costing them anything really. Very nice. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for being on the e-commerce master plan podcast today. It has been fascinating chatting with you and I wish you all the best for the next next few years in Venom. Um, So thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chloe. It was fun. So lots of lovely, um, juicy startup and brand growth tips there from Leslie. And I really didn't expect her to say about the customization being the key thing that's led to their success. I know it's kind of core to their business model, but it wasn't what I was anticipating. So that was very interesting. Um, You can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. There you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. And if you liked this episode, then do make sure that you check out a little place on the website where we've pulled together all our startup-esque podcast episodes, the new businesses, the ones that are particularly relevant to startups. Because I know now we've got, what is it, three, nearly 400 episodes. It can be a bit hard to find the relevant ones for you. So we've created a page on the website that has all our startup content. So you can go, you can scroll through, see who the different episodes are, see what numbers they are, find them on your podcast app, or just listen to them right there on the website. And you'll find all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash startup so easy to find. Well, look, thank you all for tuning in to this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners like you to succeed and thrive with their business, including progressing along that path to net zero. So if you know someone this show can help, please do tell them to listen to the e-commerce master plan podcast. I hope you have a brilliant week and don't forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.
If you're marketing an e-commerce brand, you already know that data changes everything. More data means more power. And if your email or SMS tools can't handle all that data, they're probably holding you back. That's where Klaviyo comes in. Its top-notch personalization and segmentation help you send the right message at the right time, guided by unlimited real-time data from your online store and tech stack. Request a demo at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y.